Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Louisiana Crop Podcast. I'm R.L. Frazier, be serving as your host today. Have with me today Mr. Robbie Howard, farmer from uh, Lake Providence, Louisiana, and we're going to be visiting on cover crops. Uh, some people out there may already know Mr. Robbie and his reputation with cover crops, but he was the one who originally introduced me to cover crops, and I told him before, first time I heard him speak, I thought he was crazy. Because <laughs> uh, I was not a, I, I was a fan of cover crops strictly for erosion control, and then as we moved on and I began to do work with Mr. Robbie, I'm one of his converts. So he's, Mr. Robbie, you've been at this, what, probably 20 plus years, so I'm gonna let you give us a little background and how you got started and where you're at today, and we'll just kick back and talk about it. Okay, um, in 1994, um, I was raising all cotton, cotton behind cotton, and yields were dropping off and um, not making, you know, not making much money at it. And I just decided I wanted to try something a little bit different. And I just read a couple of little articles with the word mentioned no-till. And so I just quit tilling. All I did was uh, re-hip the row in the fall and I, I started with stale seed beds. And uh, in 2000, I had started going to no-till conferences in the Midwest cause there were zero south of St. Louis as far as anybody mentioning the word no-till. So anyway, I started going to those meetings and one of the things I heard was cover crops. And uh, anyway, I met this guy at the Cotton, Rice, and Corn Conference up in Tunica. And he was from North Carolina and he was doing no-till with a wheat cover crop. So my brother and my son and I, we flew out there and visited him on his farm. And one of the things he was showing us with no-till and his cover crop wheat, he was raising that wheat for cover crop, but he was also harvesting some of it so he'd have his seed for next year. And he was selling a little bit to neighbors and kind of covering his expenses for planting cover crops. And But one of the things that really stuck with us was we rode around his farm that night before we got there, he got a two-inch rain. And that day, he took us in his truck, and we rode around that whole farm and never got stuck. Rode out in the field. It was just amazing the absorption that he was getting, but also the this was in the spring, and um, the cover crop, he had terminated it, and it was just a mat out in that field. And it was, we just couldn't believe, and we asked him about your flat now. What, what about potholes? He said, we're beginning to discover that the land will heal itself. And he said, if we'll continue with no-till, some of those low spots that hold water, I've been noticing that gradually they're going away without me putting dirt in them. And that was, that sounded a little bit too good to be true. But anyway, uh, after that, we came home and started planting a wheat cover crop. 
and we left some out for uh, to save seed and we didn't have grain bins then so what we're gonna do with it well my brother had a bagger so we bagged that wheat seed in okay. those bags and as it turned out when we got ready to plant in the fall that seed was perfect that bag had sealed it uh, the uh, no insects in it. it it was that that was the way to go and so we rocked along with wheat for two maybe three years and then we started with um, as I went to some of the meetings it was suggested try cereal rye try triticale and so we did because they put down such a deeper root and now let me back up this is when uh, I think along about 2000 is when Monsanto started promoting no-till and we went to a couple of Monsanto meetings and they had uh, oh, John, I can't remember his name, He's, he was head of the uh, no-till lab in Tennessee. You know who I'm talking <laughs> I'm, about. I'm like you, my mind's gone blank, but yeah, yes. But anyway, uh, we, uh, we, after one of those meetings, the three of us cornered him and, and talked to him for about an hour and then he, he had a world of advice for us, and so um, that's kind of helped us in what we were doing. Now, we ran into a problem with raising that cereal rye and that um, triticale. It has done a great job, but long came resistant rye, and we didn't know it was out there when we were harvesting. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> one year when we went back and planted, we were planting <laughs> uh, uh, resistant rye. And ooh, that, boy, that was a job to get rid of that. Yeah. But that's back when Roundup and Cleffedon worked. Yeah. And so we fought that battle. It took us about three years to kind of beat it down and, and um, get rid of it somewhat. But we did quit harvesting our own cover. Let me ask you one question. When you were talking about harvesting your own wheat and just straight bagging it, I'm assuming from what you said, you didn't try to clean it or nothing and try to remove some of the foreign seed. No. So that's the reason you were getting the, the good and the bad seed at the yep. same time. Yeah. And but, uh, yeah, you're right. And um, we, we just got away from doing it ourselves. And along came things like radishes, winter peas, buckwheat, uh, vetch, and so on. And so uh, now what we're doing now is we're purchasing it from a seed company. And, uh, but backing up in 2000, I want to say uh, along about 2000, well, we were going flat, completely flat. And we've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, but today, there are guys out there that have discovered there's a, some tools that can put a trench down, and that trench is only about four inches wide and about four inches deep. And what that does is allows the water to run off, and, and we'll do a trench every 36 inches, just like we got rows. And it, it drains very well. It doesn't water that good. So we found out, especially in our darker grounds and where we had 
we had wells that we could poly pipe. We finally broke the ground and that was, that was not comfortable doing that. <laughs> I think so, that probably made you break down and cry, didn't We it? went back to tillage and I'm telling you, when you've been doing no-till for about 12 years and seeing the results of it, uh, and then you go in and till that ground, and, and the reason I'm saying that is, we had gone from a half a percent of organic matter to three and a half to four percent organic matter in our fields. And that is a badge we very proudly wore. Yes. Well, not only did we do that, uh, I think it was in 20, 2018, they had a soil quality lab here and Ray Archuleta, who is one of the really uh, godfathers of soil health, he was here conducting it and he went out on my farm and just took a, a regular shovel and just dug down and got a big old clump of dirt and flipped it over and started counting earthworms. And he said, according to what he counted, I had two million worms per acre, earthworms. Wow. That's... And earthworms are the best friend a farmer has because of all the, the work that he does. And I mean, he goes down deep and he poops all the way down, takes that residue that we leave for him to eat. He goes up top, gets it, takes it down and creates those tunnels. And so um, in doing all of this process, we noticed that, well, the first five or six years, we started noticing that when we had a, a, a big rain event at night and on the way to the farm, and we live here in Lake Providence, our farm is 11 miles north on Highway 65. And our neighbors' ditches were full of water running out. When we got to the farm, we didn't see any water running out. We didn't see any water collecting. Said, so, oh man, we didn't get a rain. Went and looked at our gauges. Yes, we did. We did. We got the same rain they did. But our absorption rate was so good we were capturing all of that rain. And uh, to this day, we still see a little bit of that now, since we've been back to pretty much, I'd say, uh, oh, 50% tillage. Uh, we're not seeing uh, well in two. When you put that row up there, it's a levy. I don't care what you say, so water just doesn't it holds water in places, so here comes the water first. And, and I personally, I did when I first started out farming, that's all I did was run water first for five years. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. But our absorption rate is really, really good. Steve uh, Nipper has come out and done tests on my farm, I don't know how many years, and uh, he'll go to a farm that's doing conventional tillage and do our and uh, our absorption rate is just, well, I, I, I'm just going to say it's way, way better. Well, you know, Mr. Robbie, the first time that we started doing some work up there, where y'all, where it actually started convincing me that there was something to this cover crop besides erosion. If you remember, we went up there and we put moisture sensors in on yes. your place on one side and your... So and on the other side, one was more of a traditional tillage. You were minimum till, whatever you need to do. And I kept questioning you the whole growing season. Mr. Robbie, what's the difference in the planting dates in these two, you know, beans? 
you kept telling me one to two days, and I'll be honest, I, I think the man's son lost it. Because <laughs> there was just that much difference in the growth of the beans, and they just looked different. And he, Mr. Robbie, every time I'd ask him, he said, you know, a couple of days. That's all it is, difference in the two bean plantings. We were flying with our drone at that time, collecting NDVI on them. And we got ready for a field day up there after you had harvested the beans and showed me the results. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what, the, to me, the proof was in the pudding when I seen the yield results that your beans didn't look as big and as vigorous, maybe, because they were drill beans versus, or narrow rows versus 36, 38 inch rows, but they yielded. They out yielded the other. Mm -hmm. The NDVI kept telling me that all year, but I didn't want to believe it. My eyes were seeing one thing. Do you remember in that field, the north part of that field, there's, it showed up and that's where we had put, I had put sun hemp the year before. Yes, sir, I do and very I well. Got a, I got a good growing rate out of that sun hemp and that sun hemp will put roots down five feet deep. It does tremendous um, deep breaking for you. Yes, sir. And uh, it showed up on that map. I'm telling you, man, when I laid that big map up on the hood of your truck and I said, Mr. Robbie, I don't know what's going on here, but it was a, almost a square. I said, I know it's man-made. What have you done different here? Yeah. I had no idea, but the NDBI map showed it to me. It was a lot different, a lot healthier looking plants there. Yeah. And, and it yielded out. So. That's what made me start paying attention to cover crops. I know you said you started out with wheat, yeah, but you've advanced now on past wheat to multiple varieties or multiple species. Yeah, we go three to I'd go to three to four species, but let me before I get off of the sun hemp. Okay. The 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 downside to sun hemp is as good as it is, and it mines a lot of nutrients from the bottom and brings it to the top. But you really need to plant it um, late August or early September because frost will kill it graveyard dead. Okay. So you need about a month and a half of at least growing season. If that plant will get to five feet tall, you got a three plus foot deep root system. So the longer that sun hemp can grow, the more you're putting down, uh, root systems you're putting down. But if you can plant sun hemp mid to early August and you don't get a frost too quick, oh, you, you can, it, it really makes a big difference. And that's something else we've all learned uh, with James Hendricks working with the cover crops down on the station at, at St. Joe that it's kind of like what you want to grow next year, then I'll come up with you a plan of what you need to plant. You know, it's not just a rubber stamp for cover crops. Now we're, we're getting it down to a science like another, it's right. another crop. It's not just something out there to collect an NRCS payment or something. But James, well, if you're going to tell him you're going to plant corn and then maybe beans the next year, He's got two different, uh, you know, regiments right. of, of, of species to plant. And, and it's really working well from what I'm seeing. Right. Now, uh, in 2019, 
in talking to Adam Chapel up in, in North Arkansas, and he was telling me how he was planting in the green. And so I wanted to try that. And that year, I had planted black oats, uh, winter peas, vetch, I believe that was it, three. I believe so, because you and, and I put two of those, the vetch and the winter pea, flower. He said, if you will plant two to three species that flower, it brings in beneficials. And uh, he said, I am finding up there that when I do that, I don't have to spray for thrips on my cotton. And so I already had that, had, had those three. And I decided, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. So I planted in green standing and I've got pictures of it. It was almost, th it, it was at least three feet tall. And uh, I waited a little bit longer than I should have, but then again, looking back on it as a result, no, I didn't. Yeah. But what I did was, and we planted it with a, a 7200 John Deere planter, double disc openers, no row cleaners, nothing special. And uh, it was flat. And I had drilled all of that, so it was a perfect stand. And all we did was set up our GPS on the same as the drill. But um, Adam said, if you'll put Roundup out and give it 24 hours and then hit it with Gramoxone. Well, I didn't do that. I put out the Roundup and I waited 48 hours. And then I came back with a full rate of Gramoxone. And within about two and a half, three weeks, it was scorched earth, nothing but green corn coming up from one end to the other. And before, right after I planted it and we still had the cover standing, and I asked my uh, consultant, Reynold Minsky, I said, would you go sweep that field? And he said, yes, I will. And so they went out on all four corners and they would go out 150, 200 yards sweeping. He came back and he called me that night and he said, you're not gonna believe this. And I said, what? He said, you got 22 beneficials and no insects. And I said, you're kidding me. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, okay, why don't you come back in a week and let's do it one more time. We got the same identical results. And if I remember, did you say that was prior to planting? That was after planting. After planting, okay. That was after planting. After yeah. planting, yeah. Well, now the first time, it might have been the day before I planted. I was thinking that's what you had told yeah, me I, back then. Yeah. You swept it once to make sure yeah. you planted, then come back. That's right. And, that's uh, right. You're right. And it, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it blowed all the entomologists' minds because they keep hollering the green bridge. Oh, I know it. And Adam is a master's degree in entomology, and that's why he recommended that. And yeah. he's, he's been playing with that. But uh, I think you also told me at that time, too, you, you credited some of that to the long term, you know, or, or not just the first year cover crop, that, you know, you had worked at this for years and, and kind of helped build up your beneficials, too. Yeah, I, I, I really haven't looked at it that way, but you're right. I'm sure it did because I've been planting for the last, I'd say, five or six years now, two, at least two species. 
Now, one thing we found out with the sun hemp, the sun hemp is a long stem, and uh, we found a couple of years ago it died, and I didn't have another companion cover crop with it. And come warm weather, boy, weeds started popping up everywhere because sunlight could get through. So uh, now we are trying with our sun hemp to put um, a companion cover crop with it. Now I did one year I did buckwheat, and that buckwheat, it, I don't know what happened to it, but it was gone. It was gone. But now my son planted uh, about 300 acres of, of sun hemp this past year in, in 20, and um, right now it's all dead and there's no weeds under it. I don't know how that happened, but now once that sun hemp dies, you can come in there and put a little metribution in there and keep it clean. But the sun hemp right now is about four feet tall, dead as it can be, and you can ride out there with a wheelbarrow and knock it down. It's just, so, it just almost goes poof when you hit it. So you go, you can plant in that standing dead Absolutely. without having to roll prior to. You don't have to, to roll it. You can plant in that stand be, standing and it, it, it'll go away. And if I remember right, uh, when you planted green that year, I know you planted and, and then sprayed, but did you roll some of that prior to planting or after planting or? No. Neither one? Neither one. Okay. Neither okay. one. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now there, you know, there's a lot of guys in the Midwest that are raising triticalian rye and cereal rye, and they're letting it get five to six feet tall. Now they're having to roll it with a crimper. That's where I see that. I'm sorry. And they are crimping that, and it what it does it it's just a flat mat, and they plant in it, and uh, weed control is phenomenal because. You've covered that ground, and, and I've seen this with ours. Um, well, in, in 18, when I had such a big, tall crop, I planted in that and left it alone, and it, on its own, by June, it had laid down, and there was a solid mat between the rows of dead cover. Okay, what does that do? It shades the ground, and when you get a rain, sunlight can't hit that ground. That's it. And you keep that moisture so, so much longer. But also, uh, in 18, when I did that, it was on about 400 acres, uh, I had one shot of Roundup for the year. Look how much money I saved. That's it. You know, a lot of folks say, well, it cost me so much to plant this cover crop, and I get zero out of it well no. you got to go back no. and really look at it you what you it's costing you up front but your return on the backside i, I think pays for itself with with cover crops if you'll do soil samples the first year you do it and then do soil samples after the third year you're going to see a difference in your soil quality you're going to see a difference in what's down there and you're going to begin to see earthworms you can't see it the first year, but the first year what you will see is zero erosion. Yes. What you will see the first year is the water running out of the field is basically almost clear. It's not muddy. 
You know, Mr. Robbie, we were talking about where you planted in the standing, mm -hmm. and I was up there nosing around, which, you know, yeah. looking. And there was, like all of us do, every now and then when we pick up at the end turn, whatever, we're going to leave a little space in there that didn't get planted. And I was looking, and I could literally see what looked like when I first stepped out, two to three inches of mat in yeah. that space where there was nothing growing. Right. right. And then you get to looking underneath, and it was there. And then I pulled my, I, a lot of times during the summer, I carry that tensiometer in my truck. And I could walk out there where the, in the edge of the field, or into the field, and I didn't have a lot of resistance. The boy, mm -hmm. it was just going right on in the ground. But I could get right on the edge of the field. Right up, yeah, it was yeah. kind of close to the turn road, but it was still in production. And you could tell the difference on the edge there. It, it's made a believer out of me. Yeah. Uh, and then you're talking about the earthworm, but I cannot remember the guy's name out of Arkansas. I believe he's their cotton specialist up there that does a lot of that and one of his big demonstrations is after a few years in cover crops is he takes a pair of cotton men's briefs underwear yeah, and buries them in a field and across somewhere in a neighbor's field that's not using cover crops. Goes back at the end of the season where the cover crops, the beneficials, the earthworms is that all that's left is the elastic band right. and some double sewed cotton. We're in the other field, you could wash them and put them on. Yeah. I mean, it's, RL, it's, it's, uh, it's evidence. We have seen on a, on a wet spring, sometimes we delay burn down because that green plant is sucking up moisture and it'll help you dry out. And that, there's a, that's a two-edged sword though. Sometimes it'll dry you out too much, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it will. But one of the things that we found with the residue, if it wasn't real heavy residue, you got to be, you got to find out what herbicides you can put down that won't cling to that residue, but will go on to the soil. And there's, in my opinion, there's about three herbicides that you can use that it won't stay on that residue. It'll go on down to the soil. It'll wash off and go to the soil. But some of those chemicals, they'll absorb into the residue and it won't go anywhere. So you're not going to get that good of weed control. Had never thought in those terms, but it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So, but it's been a big learning curve. Oh for yeah. Me, well, it's, for you. Look, we're still learning. We're still learning. Now. Um, I have to tell you, my son is doing way more tillage than I want to do, and so in in 23, uh, I'm going back to no-till, and I'm going to take this field, and, and right now we rode it up with a roller buster, so that row's not but about three inches tall, and I, I haven't decided whether I'm just going to leave it like that or just go ahead and flatten it good and flat, groove it. And, and go from there. I, I probably might just keep that row and um, it will, it'll serve the purpose that I need. But honestly, I, I'd like to go back to no-till and 20 inch beans and corn. 
we did that for several years and I sure did like that. It was it was nice. It is nice. And we saw better yields with the beans than we did the corn. But that was just because um, uh, 20 inch 20 inch corn is great, but you you got to have that special head, and in the planter, and uh, so you got to draw a line and which which how, where we're going to spend our money on yep. equipment. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've talked about cover crops, the soil conditioning, improvement, organic matters. I'm not going to ask you your yields, but how does your yields compare to traditional? Every year since I've been doing this, when I go in to get my crop insurance and he's wanting my yields and everything, and I, I give it to him and I ask him every time, how does my yield compare to everybody around me? And, and they'll tell me every time, no difference. No difference. I've cut some 100 bushel beans before and I got neighbors that are doing it too. On, the way they do it, that's fine. But um, I... You know, I'm just so proud of the soil quality that I've got. I got racehorse soil. You do. <laughs> and um, I, I, I just don't want to do anything that can take me back to where I used to be. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, we don't make, I, I don't make the super high yields, but... Um, I'm consistent every year. I'm consistent with soybeans anywhere in the 60 and 70 bushel range. And, uh, uh, but my inputs are not that high. That's what I was fixing and, and that's what um, Adam Chapel is showing. He's, gone, he, he's putting a pencil to it. And when we started no-till, we felt like we had cut our operating cost by 25 to 30 percent and I the numbers I'm seeing out of the Midwest and even up into Arkansas that's still holding true if you can go true no-till and get into it you know in in three to five years you'll start to see you're not spending near as much money we cut the hours on our tractors by 60 70 percent i took up golf because i didn't have anything to do in the afternoons <laughs> oh i like you made a statement right there that i really like three to five years yeah it's not a fix overnight no it is it's not. not a one-year fix it is not it is you, you got to make a commitment i will contend that you can start seeing a difference after the first year okay uh, but to, to really get the really difference you want, you got to give it three to five years, and it, you gotta you gotta do cover crops. If you don't do cover crops, you won't see as much difference. You will see a difference in no-till, but you add that cover crop to it, and that's the um, I don't know. That's the dynamite that gets it going. There you go. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, Mr. Robbie, like I told you in the beginning. I was not a big cover crop person, <laughs> yeah. and I'll admit it, Yeah. but working with you over the last few years and seeing what you've done, looking and listening to what Adam Chappell's done, y'all have convinced me there is a spot for it. It does work, It does. but you got to work it. You can't just yeah. throw them and out there and forget about it. You got to treat it, in my opinion, as a fall crop. 
fall winter crop? Well, like I said at the beginning, when we started doing this, we were so um, ahead of the game in, in the state of Louisiana as far as LSU and RCS, everybody being able to help. And it took them about eight or 10 years to come on board, but they have now. Yes. And um, they, they've been a big help. Thank you. Like I said, you've been a big help to us. <laughs> you have. And I appreciate you coming in this morning, sharing your experience with us. And uh, you know all, you got my number, you call me all the time, but we're there to help you. Well, it's been a pleasure working with you and Dennis. <laughs> Thank you, you. You guys are a team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we figure one can support the other one. Amen. All right. Amen. Well, Mr. Robbie, I appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a good day. You bet. You too. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.